2: What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at com Here with a name you know, and you definitely know him from Fightful.com because he's wrestling. He's beating people up inside of a cage. He's an accomplished amateur wrestler. We've talked to him a few times. Jake Hager, how you doing?
3: Good, man. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying off the air, like this week it, it emerged. Oh, hey, Jake Hager's fighting Brandon Calton. Uh, October 29th, Bellator 250, and I'm like, wait, was this announced at some point, and I missed it? Like, you took this fight on super short notice, it looks like.
3: Yeah, definitely um, definitely a different style fight camp, for sure. I was one of the victims back in May of being scrubbed from the, from the first couple cards when uh, all this crap went down, and since then, we've kind of been in limbo, like staying ready, but then having to go to Aew and really get into some stuff and um, we were trying to make it for September um, but we didn't have it and it turns out we had it for October so we we, we, we signed about a month ago um, but you know we probably known for about six weeks um, two weeks before that.
2: And you were, you were very active last year. You fought three times in the middle of signing an AEW contract at that. So, I mean, you had a, a crazy amount of stuff going on last year. But you're facing a, it'll be one year by the time you, you get into the cage. Uh, how does that affect you mentally, physically, in any number of those ways?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I'm sure I'm going to have some rest to get off uh, camp definitely got tough this time um really really pushed myself to try to overcome anything that i've lost but it's also given me a year to get better at my at my strikes at at my at my kickboxing and definitely at my grappling and jujitsu so i look at it mentally as an advantage um although i am wary this guy this is, this might be his third fight this year one of them might have been an amateur uh but he's had two professional fights this year so he's like Bringing him up, and this is another one in line for him. So he's going to be ready to go. Um, but no matter how I get there, I better be ready to go because no one's taking this away from me.
2: I'm glad you mentioned his amateur record as well because uh, I mean, here's the thing: any time that a guy like you, former W.B. World Heavyweight Champion on cable TV every week, faces a guy that doesn't have as many fights, people will immediately say. Oh well, it might be a cakewalk. It doesn't look like it's a cakewalk here. This guy is two and0 this year he's finished both of his fights. he was undefeated as an amateur finished all those fights like you're stepping in with a guy who is is not looking to to roll over not not that you've ever faced anybody like that, but this is a dangerous guy
3: dangerous guy in a couple of those fights he was at 300 pounds. So, he's he's, he's going to be all of, like, he'll make 266, but I guarantee you the next day he'll be up to 280 by the time we're in that cage. So, um, it is a big challenge. Um, I think with my footwork and my speed and my head movement, I'm going to keep him off balance. That's going to be my attack. But you you got to get him up against the cage definitely cannot let this guy on top of you if you get 280 pounds on top of you it's going to suck all the oxygen to get up and back on your feet so those are going to be the key points
2: a big dude too he's 6'5 and you're i mean you're going to run into big dudes at heavyweight anyway you're not going to run into a ton that are 6'5 and 280 ish uh, how how does that adjust things for you from from your day-to-day training or anything like that do you have dudes that size in your camp
3: I got, I got a couple guys. Um, the biggest thing for camp was finding training partners as a heavyweight, finding big guys willing to uh, give you their time and hours and being punched in the face on top of it. It gets a little bit difficult. Uh, but I got a couple guys that can simulate his size. Um, he's going to have a similar reach as me, being 6'5". Maybe, maybe it's longer. So the, the striking game is going to be uh, neutralized. But I look forward to wrestling tall guys more as the shorter guys. It's easy for me to level change and uh, do my shots and get in on them and uh and then change his direction and move him. If they're a little bit shorter and squattier'm I'm a, I'm a tall guy and I'm not that flexible, so sometimes hard for me to drop my ass and and get underneath them so I'm giving you all my all my tips here. I hope he's not listening.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that, that was the thing I was going to ask because I mean, I, I know that when you fought TJ Jones, he was about six two, Kaiser five eleven, uh, but Anthony Garrett was also a big dude, and when you're trying to get your hips underneath somebody, that that extra height does does work into uh, your favor. Now your reach is like eighty two inches, right? That is an insane reach.
3: I mean, all those times I got made fun of as a little kid for having an awkward body—it uh, <laughs> really comes to pay off later in life, guys. I promise you.
2: <laughs> yeah, my God, like that is. There, there's not a lot of people that, that hit that 80, 80 mark, and the the I guess fortunate or unfortunate. It'd be fortunate for the viewers uh, aspect of heavyweight MMA is. Quite frankly, almost anybody—if they're one of those big boys—they throw your, their fist at your face. There's a chance somebody's going out. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. There. How do you prepare for something like that? Because these guys, even if they're they're traveled veterans, whether or not they're they're a little bit more inexperienced, that is a realistic danger that that you face along the way. Absolutely,
3: absolutely. Especially with the four ounce gloves on. Mm-hmm. Um, any touch it doesn't even have to get you all the way and it can hurt you and or it can completely turn the lights out so uh we got to be very aware of the weapons you have um you see a lot of guys running straight backwards and that's the most dangerous thing you can do they're throwing bombs that you go you have to go into it it's the most unnatural feeling that you have to learn when uh starting to fight someone you have to go forward that takes away their power that puts you in a safer position to rearrange them lets you counter and if your foot works right you can really capitalize on it so we're going to work on that but we're also going to work on controlling distance i'm i'm there i'm not and uh he's going to see me disappear a lot and then reappear so uh well, we've got a couple of tricks up our sleeves really going to rely on our footwork and our cardio uh with this guy because we don't want to stand right in front of him
2: now, this is your second fight since you have signed with AEW. How does that conversation go? Who do you go to and say, hey, I got a fight coming up? Might need a week off, two weeks off, or however long it is that you need off?
3: Uh, it, it, it's pretty easy. Um, I mean, right now, uh, I'm riding high with Chris Jericho in, and yeah. in Inner Circle. So, really, uh, I, I just got to get the storylines approved. Um, ahead of time, and they can like you know like, have like a song and dance routine or something while I'm not there, you know something creative I don't know <laughs> I thought that was incredible by the way, really groundbreaking um but it, it they they love um you know they love that I fight, uh and Tony wants to make sure that I tell everyone
2: that Tony tells me to win. So, can we get a little song out of you? We missed it this week. Can we get can we get some Rat Pack out of Jake Hager?
3: Oh, man. Hey, uh, I, I would love to put on a top hat and cane and uh, give you all the jazz
2: hands. And I promise you, there might be a time. It, it might be next Thursday if people tune into Bellator 250. If you sleep, <laughs> Brandon Carlton, you might be so over the moon that you order... A rare steak in the cage and and sing for us
3: oh man, and then I get sued by uh by my good friend Chris Jericho
2: he would too that that's the type of thing he would do so I spoke to John Moxley earlier this year, who was putting you over like crazy. He said that you're one of the most physically strong people he's ever been in there with, and you all had a very Uh, I want to say it was different for the time for Moxley, who has done some MMA training for his movies. Uh, What was that experience like, kind of taking on Moxley in a different situation, employing more of your MMA base than maybe you had in the past?
0: Man, it
3: it was really cool. And honestly, it was um, really stress relieving. That like, we didn't call a lot of that grappling in there.
2: Yeah, he, he said, said you hit goal. him with a he said you hit him with a shoot gut wrench power bomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, it
3: was really it was really cool to get in there and kind of feel each other out and how it came across on camera. I know we're both very proud of. Um, the fact that there was no audience in there, it actually, you know, we think it made the match better because it, like you said, it was, it's not new to Moxie style, but at the time, we were really doing something a little bit different, maybe a little bit more slower, a little more technical. Uh, but it was really cool. Um, you know, he's he's a great friend of mine. He has done an amazing job as an AEW World Champion. Uh, no need for him to drop that title anytime. He is just really showing you what a champion does and really helping us grow this brand. Uh, The best part of the whole thing is, you know, we pre-filmed that and we filmed that on March 24th, which was my birthday. And so I got to wrestle for the AEW World Championship against my friend uh, on my birthday in 2020. That was like the only cool thing about 2020, I think.
2: Now this will be this will be your first time fighting without like many people there, correct? Yes. How how do you prepare for that, or do you? Is that a thing you even take into consideration? Do you, when you're in the cage, do you hear the people? Are you in the zone? How does that work? When I before I had my first
3: fight against uh, J.W. I thought I was going to be super like analytical, like in my head, like, oh, look how he's throwing this jab. Oh, that wasn't a good hook. Like, I thought, like, I was going to be hearing all the people just because, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm green to this, and I'm, I'm still learning and getting better every day. But once I went out there, uh, I really feel like I got the best coaches in the world. Rob Bradford, Josh Rafferty, Joey Best. They did such a great job of preparing me for, uh, through camp that I had blinders on. Man. All I saw was my opponent, all I heard were were my coaches and it was so refreshing to me. And it made me smile in there because, you know, what I was worried about wasn't there and I could just go out there and have fun. Like a sick person like me
2: likes to have fun. So when, when you're out there and, and you're, you're, you do hear that crowd, how does, how does that differ from pro wrestling? Because you're a guy who has played to a crowd For a long time, and I, I I mean, obviously the charisma translates because you've got a presence in there, and you took—I mean—one of the unfortunate things that happened in your last fight and applied it to pro wrestling. So there is a crossover there, but is there a spot where you draw the line and you say, "Okay, I'm not bringing that crossover here. I'm not bringing that crossover there."
3: Oh, I don't know. I think it—I think it always pays to be a character. It always pays. Uh, to be entertaining, to have charisma, to have like a certain way that you look or make people feel—it's always good. Um, as a wrestler, you know that was one of my toughest things to learn. Getting into the pro wrestling business is like, you know, guys, character is bigger than being a, able to have a five-star wrestling match every time. You got to have a character to really. Um, get the people invested in you and really care about you. And I don't, uh, MMA is the same way. Now, are you going to have a different style of character? Or you're not going to be quite so over the top because you will get your shit called out with yes. a right hand and and then all of a sudden that character is gone. But at the same time, um, I really enjoy um MMA audience because I'm used to playing to a crowd. And so like after that second fight, in Chicago and they were all booing me whatever it was like the easiest promo I've ever cut and it's probably one of my best ones I know everyone thinks I can't talk but um, right after a fight you have all the confidence in the world and when the, when the MMA audience is like kind of doing that and you're like oh you guys just made a mistake I'm gonna get you now <laughs> it's like licking your chops it's, it's fun and uh, I don't mind being the bad guy if that's what I have to do. But I'm going to stand out either
2: way. Now, AEW has put together quite a roster. Are there any there that you look at and you're like, you know what? I could I could see them in the Bellator cage. I could see them holding their own there. I mean, not not in AEW, but I mean, Rezar of the Authors of Pain, he is a Bellator veteran. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. realize that. Like There are legitimate MMA prospects that, that are peppered throughout pro wrestling.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it's only you get more prominent, um, the crossover effects, because they really work hand in hand. And one does make you better at the other one and more appealing at the other one. So um, on the AEW roster, uh, man, Marco uh, Stunt, a lot of <laughs> there you go, Marco Stunt. Uh, I've rolled with him. And I want no part of it, man. He <laughs> he, literally, uh, he rolled me up so fast and had my had me uh, leg barred.
2: I want no part of Marco stunt. Oh, that's it's amazing. I would I would love to see it. I think you know what? I think people would tune in to watch. I mean, how would you defend? Uh, you know, if he dives down on your ankle looking for a hook,
3: he's so little he's going to bury himself in there like a tick. It could be dangerous.
2: <laughs> Can't hit a moving target, as they say. Yeah, but too bad he's as big as my.
3: Uh, you know. <laughs> I left something bigger in the toilet earlier. But you, you know, know what? We'll, pick, we'll figure it out.
2: If they start a super atom weight division in Bellator, he's gonna he's gonna be there for it. Uh, as well, we, I, I don't want to make fun of the guy because I, I love the guy. Oh, he's great.
3: I love what he's doing, I love what he's doing, and you know, you get one little thing, and all of a sudden. What he, what he what Marco needs is his Cobra. He needs to find that Santino Cobra, and yeah. everyone's gonna believe it. And, and there you go.
2: Oh my God! I saw him get thrown like ten feet in the air uh, the first time I ever saw him, and he pulled the guy down that threw him up with a code breaker. And I was like, Oh my God! That was in, that was incredible. He's got such unreal presence. He gets it. He's he's very special. Reminder, guys. Bellator 250, October 29th. As we wrap up, I'm working on a bit of a project that I'm releasing next year and would love your input on it. Royal Rumbles, you've been a part of like six of them, I think. Five or six of them. And uh, varying degrees of success within the scope of the storyline. How are those put together? What do you remember about, like not necessarily each one of them, but the process of being told, yeah, this is how this is going to work. This is when you go in. This is when you go out.
3: Um, you know, there's, um, depending on who you're in there with you, uh, which to do with everything, you'll have levels of creativity and you'll have levels of restriction. Uh, definitely not one of my favorite matches, uh, just because the way they did it at the fed, there was like a group of three or four guys who decide the whole storyline, um, throughout the thing. And then, you know, you would try to. Implement your stuff on it to make it fit to your storyline type deal. And it, you know, it can be easy or it can be difficult. Uh, the time I was in there the shortest, where uh, Lesnar just threw me out, I really think that was my favorite because, all right, <laughs> that was the most I got paid for a
2: Royal Rumble. Really? In the shortest time. Yeah. Why, why do you think that was? Do you think there was any specific reason? Because I know they used to do it based on. Buy rates or whatever that may be, but I know that that also changed a lot after the network was instituted. Yeah, they,
3: yeah, they started lying to us after they instituted the network. Uh, who knows how they how they decided to pay us? But for some reason, that was that was a good payday for me, and it was literally seven seconds. It was like duck a clothesline, F five, see ya.
2: <laughs> man. And and you ended up working. Go ahead, sorry.
3: Oh, I was going to say, Mike Kyoto came running over
2: to me, and he was so upset. He was like,
3: Swags, what was that? I just turned to him, I right, just got paid, Kiki. What do you want?
2: And you worked a match very similar to that in the Casino Battle Royal at All Out, which is very similar, and I love the change they made to where they brought them out one by one, even in the groups, because I thought for production, it made a lot more sense. Did, did your experience in the Royal Rumble or anything kind of prepare you for that, or is this a completely different beast?
3: That that's definitely a different beast. Uh, You know, they say every pro wrestling match is different, and every gimmick match is definitely different. Um, So that was a little bit different. But being in the Royal Rumble definitely helped me prepare with that, and like helped the other people uh, set their stuff up. And you really have to like you're limited because there's people in the ring. You want to like do some cool stuff and make an entrance, but you have people in the ring, so you got to be careful of ankles, (laughs) the about throwing people and. And like hiding in the corner so they can have the spotlight. So there's a lot of little things that go into it. The main thing is, I feel like, is you, can't, you don't want to do too much. You don't want to do too you don't want to get too much stuff in. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was proud of what Sonny and I did because it made a big shock and it made a big splash. And it was just something as easy as him turning it around on me and throwing me out. And I, I was like, that's all it needs to be.
2: Guys, remember Bellator 250, October 29th, 2020. It is on the CBS Sports Network. It is a good card. You got uh, Nick Newell on the show. You got Jared Scoggins, who I'm a big fan of, on the show. You've got Gegard Musashi against Douglas Lima for the vacant middleweight title. What more can you ask for? And you got Jake Hager against Brandon Calton. Jake Hager, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Hey,
3: Sean. Thank you.
2: And, uh... Let's go, Phenom! Right, Douglas Lima. He's
3: just, i think this is his time, man. I can't wait to be on another card with him and uh, hear those kicks. They're the loudest kicks in the game.
2: They're—they're oh, they're sick. He's on a—he's on a really hot streak right now. Won six of his last seven. And Gegard Musashi. And that guy—he'll fight like anywhere, any weight. Doesn't really care. He is on an unreal streak too. I think the only fight he's lost in like the last four or five years was to Lovato, and that was a very—that was a close fight. So, very excited for that. But, Jake, thank you very much. Thank you, Sean. Let's go. Until next time, guys. We're out.